Good morning, crowd family. I hope you all had a blessed week. Listen, I want to give a shout out to the Molina family out there in El Paso, Texas. Felipe, Linda, Mateo, and Joshua, love you guys, and God bless. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Verses 18 through 25 is today's text. We're now in part three of our series, Undivided. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which is which was uh, verses 10 through 17. And there, Paul's focus was on dealing with division. And he begins by pleading with the Corinthian believers, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the authority of that name, to get along. He says, to agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So he sets before them what right behavior looks like, and then he tells them uh, what's wrong in their conduct. Look at verse 11. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. That word quarrels there literally is bitter words. It isn't minor bickering. It's serious stuff. There were verbal arguments in the church. And the problem was that there were people in the church who were taking sides in strife uh, creating factions and cliques and fan clubs centered around personalities. Look at verse 12. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulus. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Now remember the Paul group? Remember that? The Paul group, this group wanted to be loyal to Paul. and They had been converted under Paul's preaching and those whom he had baptized wore, wore that like a badge of distinction. And then you had the Apollos group, right? These people loved his style of preaching. And then the Cephas group, this is Peter's group, and these were the traditionalists in the church. Uh, there were Jewish Christians who had deep roots in the faith of their fathers. And this group, or excuse me, leaned, leaned, excuse me, leaned toward legalism. And then you had the Jesus group, and these uh, were the purists, those who uh, sounded the most spiritual. This was a self-centered, self-righteous group who refused to submit to anyone. And they sought to disassociate themselves from any earthly preacher or teacher. They were spiritual elitists who were unwilling to submit themselves to the apostolic authority that Jesus had defined and put in place for the church. They were just as divisive as the other three groups. Now remember, the thing that seems to be the identifying connection uh, with these leaders was baptism. And what Paul does is he asks a series of questions, and these questions were rhetorical questions, and the answers to these questions are pretty much obvious. And in verse 13, Paul writes, Is Christ divided? In other words, is Christ broken up into little pieces and handed out to different factions? And the answer is no. Then he says, Was Paul crucified for you? Was it Paul who redeemed and purchased you to himself? The answer is no. And he says, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Well, no. And what Paul does, Paul puts it in proper perspective. And How could you think of showing a, a, loyalty, a loyalty to me, Paul says, that belongs only to Jesus Christ? And what Paul does, Paul shows how silly it is that he could be put on the same level with Christ. And then what Paul does is he gives his personal defense in verses 14 through 17. You remember this, right? And what he does, he's, he's going on the record and what Paul does, he, he knocks the props right out from under those who would place their status upon their identification with him. And what Paul's pretty much saying is that I didn't baptize you, so 
You can't possibly be identified with me. Then I love what Paul does. By way of explanation, what he does, he focuses on the cure for the division in the church. And what he does, he summarizes the fact that baptism must take a back seat to the ministry of proclamation, of the proclamation of the gospel. And then he makes mention of the cross. I love this. He makes mention of the cross in order to heal the fragmentation in this church. And you see, by call, calling them back to the meaning of the cross, Paul hoped to help them find unity. And I love, I love how Paul takes them back to the cross. And he does this because it's the message. Listen now, it's the message of the cross that restores unity. It's Jesus' redemptive work on the cross that should glue us tightly together. Can I get an amen? This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is The Power and Wisdom of God. Everyone say that, The Power and Wisdom of God. So after focusing on the need for unity in the church, Paul now shifts his focus to the significance of the gospel. And his focus is to emphasize the importance of the gospel and the amazing and awesome power that it has to transform the lives of sinners. Now listen, friends. The mind-blowing thing, the mind-blowing thing about the gospel message is that it's thousands of years old, and yet, friends, yet, it's as powerful today as it was when it was first preached. Now, now here in the text, some were critical of the gospel, some ignored the gospel, but some received it. Three points from the text, if you already say yes, come on, say yes. Point number one is this, the debate. Write that down, the debate. And here Paul addresses the debate surrounding preaching. And right here, Paul tells us of the two basic reactions of those who heard the message of the cross preached. Look at verse 18a. Verse 18a. Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So, so we see here, we see here, here we see those who rejected the message. Uh, these are the unsaved uh, who are in the process of perishing and will perish uh, for all eternity unless they turn to Christ by faith. Now, now the word foolishness, excuse me, foolishness there in the text is the basic Greek word moros, moros, or moros, excuse me, moros, from which we get our English word moronic, which we get our word moron from. And it has the idea of something that is ridiculous, ignorant, stupid, and contemptible. And so these folks considered the message of the cross as foolishness. It was moronic to them. And they see the gospel as, as stupid, silly, absurd, and nonsense. They, they, they don't understand it. It makes no sense to them that a Savior would die for them, especially on a cross. The idea of the cross seemed foolish to them. Now, in Paul's day, a cross was a means of a slow, painful, humiliating execution. A cross meant that you were a condemned man guilty of a crime punishable by death. It was a shameful way to die as the criminal hung out in the open, usually naked, uh, sometimes for days and before dying. Crucifixion was usually done in a public place where lots of people would be passing by to see the execution. So, in these people's minds, how could a cross be a good thing? Now, perhaps you can now understand a little better the way 
your unsaved family, your unsaved friends and coworkers react to you when you talk about Christ to them, right? You see, to them, you appear to be a moron. Well, look what the text says, okay? Because the text says this, the message of the cross is foolishness, moronic to those who are perishing. So they see no point to the gospel at all. In fact, the next chapter over, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the debate continues today concerning the gospel, right? We see it all the time concerning the gospel, but nevertheless, we shouldn't let that hinder us from sharing the gospel. And friends, listen, listen now. Some will reject it and remain in sin, but some will respond in salvation, which is the other reaction to the gospel. And that's the next verse, verse 18. Well, verse 18b. But to us, Paul writes, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I love that. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this is the second reaction and it's those who responded to the gospel. Those of us, listen now, who have found Jesus Christ. And friends, we have learned that the cross is at the heart of how we became saved. Look at the text again. Paul, Paul writes, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So for the saved, the gospel is what? It's the power of God. Say the power of God. Now let me tell you, what this message of Christ brings. This message of Christ brings deliverance from guilt of sin. And what it does, it breaks the chains of bondage of sin. It, it promises to deliver us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and ultimately, completely, deliverance from the presence of sin in the future. Someone say amen to that. It's the cross. Listen now. It's the cross which releases all spiritual blessings of life. It's the basis for all true peace and joy. Amen? Now, if you're saved, say amen. The gospel, listen now, the gospel is not simply good advice to people, uh, to people telling them what to do or what they should do, nor is it a message about God's power. Listen, rather, it is God's power. Say that. It is God's power. In Romans 1.16, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Of God. Did you get that? It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now we can see from the text that Paul divides all humanity into two classes of people the saved and the unsaved. How the perishing see the cross, how the saved see the cross, those perishing and those being saved. So what does this tell us? What, excuse me, what does this tell us? This tells us, listen now, that there is no middle ground. Every person is either on their, on their way to separation from Jesus for all of eternity or on their way to celebration with Jesus for all of eternity. And the difference is, in, is, is one's attitude and commitment to the message of the cross, which is nothing more than commitment to the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Amen? Verse 19. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 19. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Now, here what Paul's doing, Paul's quoting from Isaiah 29, 14. Write that down. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, where it says, God says, Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Now listen, God proved in the Old Testament that he denounced all human wisdom as what? As foolishness. You see, people have always thought their way was the right way, but God reduces the reasoning to nothing. And when he does, God destroys it. Proverbs 14, 12, write that down. Proverbs 14, verse 12, says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. You see, what happened, what happened here was that the Corinthians were starting to glory in human wisdom. And while they were looking to the wisdom of men and choosing to reject the truth of the gospel, Paul warns, this now Paul warns that their wisdom will actually come to nothing. Nada, zip, zero. And you see, they may have thought that their wisdom exceeded the preaching of Paul and the word of God, declaring it foolish, but in the end, say in the end, in the end, God would prove their wisdom was lacking, lacking. It, was, it, it will perish and it will vanish. Now, I want to make it clear that there's nothing wrong with human wisdom in certain categories, though I want to make it very clear that human wisdom has its limits. So I want you to follow me here. There is one category where human wisdom plays absolutely no part in, and that is the salvation of a person's soul. Got it? The salvation of a person's soul. Now, there's a lesson. Here's a lesson. It is the message of the gospel alone. Write that down. It is the message of the gospel alone that brings salvation and the knowledge of God. I love that. It is the gospel, excuse me. It is the message of the gospel alone. Write that down. It is the message of the gospel alone that brings salvation and the knowledge of God. Now listen. The pursuit of human wisdom might bring earthly contentment and somewhat happiness, but in itself it can never bring salvation and the true knowledge of the true living God. It's the message of the gospel alone that brings salvation and the knowledge of God. Can someone say amen? Verse 20, Paul writes, Where is the wise man? In other words, what human wisdom could add to God's wisdom in his way of salvation? None. Then he says, where is the scholar? In other words, what can the Jewish scholar with wisdom and knowledge of ancient writings and scripture add to God's way of salvation in Christ? Nothing. Then he says, where is the philosopher slash debater of this age? In other words, what Greek philosophers who love to debate the philosophies of their day add to God's way of salvation in Christ? Nothing. Then he says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The answer is, yep. Yes. Man's wisdom, listen now, in God's sight is foolishness. In fact, the best of man's wisdom is foolishness. So I want you to follow me here. Human wisdom raises the right questions, but doesn't have the right answers. Did you get that? You see, human solutions are temporary, not permanent. Prove it. I will. 
This is why every generation wrestles with the same problems as far back as we can go into human history. This is why one generation never seems to learn from the other generation. Listen now, friends. People, are, people still go hungry. There is social, social injustice. There is war. There is greed. There is epidemics and pandemics and political unrest. Just look, listen now, just look at our Western, Western culture as it crumbles away morally. And this is proof why human wisdom cannot work in the area of salvation. This is why our world needs Jesus. Human wisdom cannot change lives. Legislation cannot change lives. Only Jesus Christ can change lives. This is why our world needs Jesus. Can I get an amen? Number one is the debate. Number two is the decree. Write that down. The decree. The decree. Write that down. Look at verse 21a. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. So in God's plan, God decreed that mankind with all their wisdom would not come to know God through that wisdom. So this begs the question, why has God allowed human wisdom then? Why? Is it to give us prestige, to give us power, to solve problems, to help us make money? Well, according to Paul, the ultimate purpose of wisdom was to show mankind the utter foolishness of human wisdom to save themselves. Did you get that? Paul reveals their acquired wisdom failed to bring them to the saving knowledge of God. Now listen, someone can, excuse me, someone can possess knowledge in this life and yet lack the wisdom of God that brings salvation. Get this. Far more important than head knowledge is wisdom that permeates the heart and changes lives. Verse 21b, if you're with me, verse 21b, verse 21b. God has, listen, God was pleased, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I'm gonna read that again. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So God takes pleasure. I love this. God takes pleasure in accomplishing our salvation in a way that no one would have ever, ever expected. And you see, friends, listen, he's happy to do it in this way, which offends the height of human wisdom. Listen, it pleased God. It pleased him because he has a plan to bless the message of the gospel. He sovereignly and freely decreed by the foolishness of what was preached to save those who responded positively to the message. Got it? And some people look at the doctrine of the cross and think it's nonsense, but God has decreed, say decreed, that people be saved only this way. Are you guys getting this? And this is why, listen now, this is why human wisdom and philosophy have no part in salvation. God has made a decree. And that decree is this. If any person is to be saved, have his or her sins forgiven, be granted eternal life and a righteousness which will make him and her or her acceptable to God, this person 
will enter into these blessings through the message of the cross. Got it? Verse 22a. Verse 22a. Jews demand miraculous signs. Did you get that? So they demanded, these Jews demanded evidence for everything. And they looked to signs and they looked to miracles as a way of proving things. Well, you know what, friends? In the book of John, John records seven miracles Jesus performed. Turning water into wine. Healing an official son at Capernaum. Healing an invalid at the pool of Bethesda. Feeding the 5,000. Walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. Healing a blind man and raising Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus did, in fact, show them many signs and miracles, but they still didn't believe. Why? Because of the hardness of their hearts. They rejected the truth. They rejected the truth he spoke and the miracles he performed. And you see, friends, they thought the Messiah would come with striking manifestations of power and majesty to deliver Israel from the power of Rome. To them, to the Jews, a crucified Messiah was a contradiction of terms. And they kept asking for more signs before they would believe because they were spiritually blind. In fact, in fact, they rejected the greatest of all signs. And the greatest of all signs is Jesus' resurrection. Verse 22b. And Greeks look for wisdom. So the Jews, the Jews demanded miraculous signs. And here the Greeks look for wisdom. So the Greeks were only interested in intellectual wisdom. They were only interested in philosophical engagement. They weren't interested in spiritual truth. They were impressed by wise words and logical arguments. In fact, many of the great thinkers of Paul's day considered Paul a babbler. Oh, Paul, you're just babbling, offering little to consider. And so they demanded something that would challenge their minds. So the Jews wanted signs, and the Greeks wanted wisdom. And you know what? Nothing has changed, right? Nothing has changed. Today, some seek for a great sign or miracle in order to believe, while others are only interested in deep philosophies and intellectual challenges. You see, the problem is they refuse to embrace anything by faith. However, however, in reality, Jesus has provided each of these demands. You see, there's no question regarding his miracles if one would only consider the evidence. And the word of God is deeper than the brightest mind can begin to comprehend. Can I get an amen? The debate, the decree, number three is this, the declaration. Write that down, the declaration. The declaration. And here Paul addresses the public declaration of the word of God, the preaching of the cross. Look at verse 23a, verse 23a. But we preach Christ crucified. I love that. But we preach Christ crucified. That is the central theme of the gospel, friends. Got it? That is the central theme of the gospel. It isn't great signs and, and miracles or newfound wisdom. 
It centers on the substitutionary sacrifice Jesus Christ made on behalf of sinners. He lived, died, was buried, and rose from the grave, from the dead. That's the gospel. Got it? That's the gospel. We preach Christ crucified. Now, there's a lesson, and here's a lesson. Our primary message is the cross. Got it? It's the cross of Christ. Our primary message as believers is the cross of Christ. It's Christ crucified on the cross. Listen now, Christ is and must be preeminent in all true preaching. Got it? Listen, we don't preach opinion. We don't preach philosophy. We don't preach what's popular. We don't preach politics. We preach Jesus Christ crucified. That's the gospel that you and I preach. In fact, that's what Paul did, right? I mean, look at the text. But we preach Christ crucified. Back in verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Are you getting this? Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The next chapter over, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writes, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you're getting this, say amen. 2 Corinthians, write that down. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul writes, For what we preach is not ourselves. Gosh, I love that. But Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, if you said amen, this is the one thing that we all have in common. Our message, listen now, friends, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. Now, we have a variety of gifts, abilities, and talents, different personalities, and different characteristics. Um, we have differing areas of ministry, but we all have one message, and that message is Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. Every believer, every believer has the message of the gospel. We are to preach and we are to share that message. When Billy Graham was asked if he would do anything different in his ministry, he said he would preach more on the cross. Wow. Love that. Verse 23b. A stumbling block to the Jews, right? To Jews. Now, Paul was well aware that, 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 that not all would receive the gospel. They, would, they, they, they couldn't embrace it as truth. And you see, they, speaking of the Jews, stumbled at the notion that Jesus was, in fact, the crucified Messiah. Now, I want you to follow me here. For a person to hang from a tree slash cross was for a Jew to be placed under a curse. And they got this from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Deuteronomy 21, 23, where it says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Listen, they, the Jews, were expecting a political Savior, not an, not an eternal Savior. Verse 23, see. And foolishness to Gentiles. So it's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And many of the Greeks saw the gospel as mere 
foolishness, a tale of fiction or dreams. And, and they, the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, they considered Jesus foolishness because only worthless people were crucified, not saviors, in their minds. Now, although many rejected the truth, Paul, I love the fact that Paul continued to preach faithfully. And he wouldn't allow the rejection of some to prevent others from hearing the gospel. Verse 24. If you're still with me, say amen. But to those whom God has called, love that, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now I'm going to read that again. You got to get it. But to those whom God has called, okay, you need to underline that, highlight that, circle it, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now notice, notice that believers are described by a distinctive title. They're referred to as what? As what? The called. Say that, the called. The text says, but to those whom God has called. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Now, if you said amen, listen, now we are people who have been called. And friends, that calling is twofold. It's twofold. It is both external and internal. External and internal. Internal. I want you to follow me here. We are called externally, externally, when we first heard the preaching of the gospel. Got it? I'm going to say it again. We are called externally when we first heard the preaching of the gospel. We Listen now. We heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and trusted Jesus as our Savior. The second thing is this. We are also called internally. Not just externally, but internally. That is that the Holy Spirit worked a special work in our hearts to make us alive and bring us to the cross of faith. Got it? We've been called externally and internally. Now, there's a lesson, and here's a lesson. Christianity, I love this, Christianity is supernaturally based on God's calling of sinners to himself. Love that. I'm going to say it again. Christianity is supernaturally based on God's calling of sinners to himself. Listen, we are Christians. Listen now, we are Christians because God did a supernatural work in our hearts to bring us to faith in Christ. So get this. Christianity is not anti-intellectual, but it's supernatural. Got it? It's supernatural. So, listen now. So though Paul had faced rejection in many, many had denied the truth and refused the gospel, there were those who had responded in faith, both Jews and Gentiles. Look at the text. Let's look at the text. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles. Isn't that awesome? Right? So Jews and Greeks got saved. And Paul had witnessed the salvation of those from two of the most difficult cultures to reach. Now, what I love about Paul is that he wouldn't allow discouragement to hinder his preaching. And friends, listen now. We need to be reminded of this truth. There is purpose. Listen, if you're safe, say amen. Come on, say amen. There is purpose in our existence. Got it? Say that. There is purpose in 
in my existence. Say that. There is purpose in my existence. Listen, God has placed us here to share the good news that you and I have received. Now listen. Now listen. All will not respond and believe, but some will. Say that. Some will. So we must continue to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the text. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. I love that. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So as Christians, we understand that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because we are experiencing the effects of the crucified and resurrected Savior in our lives. Amen. Verse 25. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I'm going to read that again. Paul writes, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now on the surface, as you read that, on the surface, this may appear disrespectful, right? But Paul is declaring the power of God. And he is in no way minimizing the power of truth. In fact, what Paul is doing, he's building a solid case for it. So I want you to follow me here, okay? Follow me here. Society declares the wisdom of God foolish when compared to the wisdom of men, right? Right? They proclaim God and the Bible are weak when compared to the intellectual minds and abilities of those considered knowledgeable and strong, right? So, listen now. So, in appealing to their way of thinking, I love this about Paul. So, so in appealing to their way of thinking, what Paul does is Paul declares the foolishness perceived, got that? Perceived of God. Again, Paul declares the foolishness perceived of God is much stronger than the wisest of men and that his, God's perceived weakness, perceived weakness is much stronger than the strongest and most powerful on earth. Got it? You see, the world proclaims the gospel is foolish and weak when, when in reality it is abundant wisdom and strength. If you got it, say got it. So as we wrap this up, as we close today, I want to give you three takeaways from the message. Three takeaways. And the first one is this. We must continue, as believers, we must continue to preach the cross of Christ. We must continue to preach the cross of Christ. This is our only message, friends, the cross of Christ. It's the good news the world needs to hear, especially right now during this pandemic, or excuse me, yeah, this pandemic, we need to preach the cross of Christ. People are open right now to hear the gospel. The second takeaway is this. We shouldn't be surprised when the world rejects us and our message. We shouldn't be surprised when the world rejects us and our message. Now, this shouldn't discourage us. It shouldn't discourage us. And I want to say this. If we're waiting for the world to give us a badge or a trophy for preaching the cross, we're going to wait forever. Ain't going to happen. Got it? Ain't going to happen. We need to continue to share the gospel. Now, some won't believe, but some will. 
So we, listen, we cannot allow discouragement and the rejection of some to hinder our commitment to sharing the gospel. Because the next one we speak to may respond in faith. Got it? May respond in faith. So we must continue to preach the cross of Christ. We shouldn't be surprised when the world rejects us in our message. And the third takeaway is this. We should reject any attempts. Got to get this. We should reject any attempts to water down the gospel or to shy away from the message of the cross. I'm going to say it again. We should reject any attempts to water down the gospel or to shy away from the message of the cross. We need to, listen now, we need to boldly and lovingly tell it like it is. I'm going to say it again. We need to boldly and lovingly tell it, the gospel, like it is. Soren Kai Kirkard said it this way, and I love it. He said, remove from Christianity its ability to shock, and it's altogether destroyed. It then becomes a tiny superficial thing, capable neither of inflicting deep wounds nor of healing them. Christianity is not reasonable in the way the world counts reasonableness. And it should not be made to sound reasonable. It is revolutionary and radical, and that's why the world rejects it. It stands apart from all that the world has to offer. We are fools in the eyes of the world when we preach the cross. Let's preach it anyway. In this life, there are many roads a person may travel, but only one that leads to heaven. The road to heaven starts at the cross where Jesus died for you. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel message and the amazing and awesome power it has to transform our lives. Thank you, Lord. We love you and honor you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Someone say amen. Now, before I let you go, perhaps there's someone out there listening, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You never surrendered your life to Him. But you heard the message today. And listen, you can either accept Him or reject Him. He is giving you free will, choice. But if that's you today, where you're saying, I want Jesus, Pastor, in my life. I want to, I want to choose Him today. I choose Him today. I, ask him, I want to ask Him to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. That's you. Then what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads Bow your head and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I, I need you to come into my life to save me, change me, and to cleanse me from all my sin to be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, justified, satisfied, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. 
And from this day forth, I will serve you and honor you until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if that's you, if you said that prayer, we would love to hear from you. In fact, you can email us at contact at cryout.org. Again, that's at contact at cryout.org. Listen, friends, I miss you guys and love you. I pray that you have a blessed, wonderful week. Again, happy Sunday, and I'll see you next week. God bless.